Hey, Church Unlimited, welcome to Throwback Weekend. I want to take you back now to May 21st, 2011, where we had Brian Head Welch, the lead guitarist for the heavy metal band Korn, in to do an interview. This is one of the most compelling stories of life change I've ever heard. Please enjoy. created for Christ and by Him, and we're created to be with Him. And it's the most incredible feeling because you're where you belong. Ladies and gentlemen, let's stand to our feet and give a great South Texas welcome to Brian Head Welch. Out here, bro. All right, man. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> right. I think you got some fans here, man. This is like <laughs> this is like the the popular service. <laughs> Dang, every seat's taken almost. <laughs> These guys are a little rowdy around here, but I think you're used to rowdy, so we should be all right. So. Yeah, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> hey, listen, I want you to just take us back and tell us your story a little bit. We're it's so great to have you here, and uh, we've been having fun all weekend long. Okay, I want, I want to go back, and I know these questions are getting redundant because we've been doing this for a while now, but let me just ask you, like, where, where'd you grow up? How'd you get into corn? How'd all that start? Uh, Bakersfield, California, home of Buck Owens and he, the show Hee Haw, and uh, that's where he grew up. So um, I was 10 years old when I started playing guitar, and um, it just went on from there. So you start, so you pick up a guitar at age 10, and uh, like, what were your bands? What'd you listen to back then, back in the day? Oh, Ozzy Osbourne, Motley Crue, Rat, uh, just a whole metal thing, whatever, Van Halen, um, just uh, all that stuff. You know? I love it, love it. Uh, so you listen to all that, and then you pick up a guitar, and then this is kind of funny too. Most people don't, I don't think, know this, but you knew a bunch of those bunch of guys from Corn when you're like a 10, 11, 12 years old. Yeah, I was saying earlier, I'll throw him under the bus again. Uh, Fieldy, who's the bass player, like I met him in junior high, and uh, I, I had like Ozzy and all these metal bands on my Peachy, the the folder that that that. I don't know if they still sell it. Like a little nowadays, trapper keeper, like little Pete. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, 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 yeah. But he had like Duran Duran on his. So, <laughs> just that new wave band for all you younger folks. But it was, uh, I would make fun of him and say, man, you got to get into metal, man. So he, he eventually came around. <laughs> so, did, so he started playing guitar, is that right? Yeah, well, he was playing guitar because his dad played guitar and everything. But I told him, man, you're not very good, man. You should, you could. You need to switch to the bass because there's less strings. It would be easier for you. <laughs> so he ended up being Korn's bass player. That's hilarious. But he's, got, but he's got a unique sound now. Yeah, he's like, he mixed because he got into some funk music. So he, he's, he's like put slap music with metal. So it's really cool. Yeah, okay. So basically you're a band director. I'm a band director. Just call my manager for if you want to hire me. <laughs> okay, so you meet these guys, and, and so you start playing in bands. And tell me some different band names, because you got two or three 
different bands you were in, you know, as a kid, as you were kind of learning your skill? Yeah, the first one was Pierced, mm -hmm. P-E, or P-I-E-R-S-T. Okay. And uh, second one was Ragtime, then there's one called Toy, and it was just all, just stupid little cheesy bands. We'd get in a band and write some songs. We wrote originals, though. Mm -hmm. We'd play, like, one show and then break up, you know, and two members would go for form another band, so that's what it was like for a while. <laughs> okay, so you're doing that, um, and then uh, tell us about how you ended up going from there to, to Hollywood. Um, the, the guys, they got, like I said, he was a uh, field, he got into funk music, and so they got into the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, and mm -hmm. I didn't like that type of music, first of all, because I'm too white to, like, have the rhythm like that. <laughs> Second of all, like, I just, I was a metalhead, and I love my metal, so these guys went through their little phase. They moved to Hollywood and did, and, and uh, tried to make it, and I stayed back with a girlfriend. She ended up breaking my heart, mm -hmm. and uh, I actually got suicidal a little bit. You know, my parents were like, get a job, you know, and I'm like, I'm like heartbroken, wanting sympathy yeah. from them. And so I went to visit yeah. my friends who were in Hollywood and uh, they said, yeah, you need to move, get out of Bakersfield, move down here with us. So I, I moved down with them and I was actually their roadie, the guitar tech um, for their band called LAPD. And um, they would pay me with drink tickets and stuff and I'd help them load the gear in. They'd play the show. I was supposed to tech for them during the show, but like... They would just, I don't know, I'd steal the drink tickets and go drink while they're playing. And, like, if something went wrong, I'd, I'd be like, oh, man, to fix the cord by your left foot. Like, I didn't even go help them. <laughs> but but they like, couldn't got fire the beer me. in your hand. You're like, yeah, it's right there. Yeah, you know? yeah. They couldn't fire me because, you know, they didn't pay me, first of all. And second of all, I, was their, I lived with them. I was their friend. You know, what are they going to do? <laughs> so it was just knucklehead days back then. <laughs> okay, so then, okay, so when did they ask you to be in the band? About three years after that, I was, uh, I, you know what, I got sick of being broke. I was just, I was working at Pizza Hut, delivering furniture and stuff like that during the day, Pizza Hut at night. And I got sick of being broke, and I called yeah. my dad. He owned a couple of Chevrons, and I was like, I want to work for Chevron and just learn the business, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I called my dad, and I was like, can I, can I come back home? And he goes, well, chop your hair off, and you can work for me, you know, because yeah. my customers might think you're kind of shady, but... So I had to, I cut my hair and uh, I was ready to move and, and they asked me, they didn't want me to move. They were like, man, you're, you're our friend, you know, we don't want you to go. So they said, won't you get in a band with us? And the other guitar player, they only had one guitar player and he was like, he had to give up some of his stuff. So he was like a little bit like, I don't know if I want to do that. But then we tried it and he really liked the sound. So it was just on from then on. Okay. And I cut my hair for nothing. You know, I'm like... <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I stayed, and, and we... A <laughs> little Dumb and Dumber bowl haircut. Yeah, and... yeah. <laughs> no, not quite like that. That would have been funny. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> you get along well with me, then. You really will, let yeah, me tell you. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, so basically, so now you're in the band, and then when did you... Like, how did you guys... I mean, this is a question that everyone has. Like, how did you get big? Like, how did that happen? Because so many people want to do that. How did you do it? We did it. What we did was we plastered our hometown with stickers everywhere. It, we called it corn. It was just, I don't know, we came up with corn. Kind of like that movie Children of the Corn. It was mm -hmm. just like anything about like childhood uh, things that like pain, you know, abuse or like getting picked on by bullies. It was like he was regressing back to those days and stuff. Yeah. And uh, the R was backwards. So we like put this sticker everywhere. And they're like, everyone's like, what? you see this corn stick? K-O-R-N? What is that? Yeah. So everybody knew about it, and then we would 
We'd have parties at our studio. We'd play out anywhere and everywhere. We'd book shows in Hollywood. We would uh, rent a bus, get a keg, put it on the back of the bus, and have our friends like pitch in five bucks each. It would pay for the bus and the keg. And we'd just, we'd just roll up to these clubs in Hollywood and just pack them out. And so people were like, this band Corn, man, they're doing all this stuff and bringing people money. Yeah. Everyone's making money. So they're like, they, the record company started out and they're like, oh, maybe we can make some money off them, you know? So, so you created your own excitement and brought the people with you. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really, that's a really smart business move right there. Hey, we had it. There you go. <laughs> and so now you've got some success behind your belt. When did, when did someone say, here's a business deal? Like, let's, let's put this together. Well, here's a record deal. When did that happen? It was Sony, or I was actually, uh, it was Immortal Records through Epic Sony. And, um, uh, it was really cool because we were just playing and we didn't know like our managers was like you gotta you you gotta go when it's hot you know what i mean because sometimes like record companies will come and they'll be interested and if you play them on too much and you play the game like you know give us a higher number or whatever then they'll lose interest and then it'll just your time will pass so we we went with a uh, a label and it was like uh, like I said, it was Immortal Records, but they ended up giving us like you know a couple hundred thousand dollars for recording costs, and we got like forty thousand bucks each. So it was like, dang, we won the lottery, you know? And like, right, right. that's a lot. I mean, I worked at Pizza Hut, you know. Right, so right. these guys, yeah. And I was so excited that I quit my job before I actually got the check. So I was like, right, I was like couch surfing, yeah. waiting for my money to come. So. It was crazy, but those guys got the like the band members. They got forty thousand bucks. They went and bought Mercedes like right away. They acted like hip hop stars or something. But I like I got a Volkswagen and put my money in the bank, man. I was like, I'm not gonna be poor again, you know? Crazy. There's a lesson. Crazy. There's a lesson, right? <laughs> okay, so now you get the contract. You, you you put the album out, and what what were your expectations on the first album, and what happened? I mean, weird, like a dream come true for us would have been 300,000 records. And that was like... Wasn't there some, you said there was a band right before you that did that, that you're kind of benchmarking off of? Yeah, like House of Pain. Remember that, ba that band? Jump yeah. Around. That, that yeah. band. Okay. Uh, they sold, they were on the same label, and they're like, th that was the big act. So we were yeah. like, if we do that, man, that would be awesome. But the, the guy that, we did something to make the, make the uh, owner of the label mad. So he called us in a meeting once, and he goes, you guys don't have any melody. You're just, you're good, but you're not that good. And you're probably, you're only going to sell 90,000 records. And we're like, why'd you even sign us, dude? You don't even like, like us or believe in right. us, you know? So, but we passed that mark and we ended up going gold on like our fourth tour with Ozzy Osbourne. And it was just amazing. It was crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, so tell them what happened when you went gold. This is kind of cool. Like the night of. Like oh, that uh, Ozzy Osbourne and Sharon came into our dressing room and they had, champagne and they're like congratulations you went gold and ozzy was <laughs> ozzy was like going yeah congratulations baby and, and you're and, like what did he say i don't understand what he's yeah sharon had to like uh be his interpreter but <laughs> but it was cool because i had that dude's poster when i was a kid you know they had fake blood come out of his mouth and i had him all over my room and i just listened to him all the time i loved randy rose who was a guitar player he passed away but yeah, he's an awesome player, but, um, you know, just, it was just surreal. So you're touring with, like, one of your idols right there. Yeah. That it's is like, crazy. And I, every night after our show, we go out into the crowd and watch them, you know, I'm like, this is awesome. That's crazy. So here you are, you're touring, 
Things were blowing up. Now, at the time, you, the whole, almost everyone in the band had a girlfriend, right? Yeah, we all had girlfriends before uh, we got a record deal and everything. So they were there. Like, they'd come visit us all uh, when we're recording. And um, when we hit the road, it was kind of hard, you know. It's like they all got to hang out when we were on the road. And, you know, and when we got bigger, it became harder because they know, like, you know, yeah. groupies and all that stuff. And we're like, oh, no, it's cool. But as time went on, we were like, you know, we were doing stuff we shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. So now you're so now you're kind of torn. You're, you're telling me this, this service that you're, you you got the groupy thing going on, but then you 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 want it both ways. You got a family back home too. So tell tell us about what that's doing to you to doing to you. Yeah, a couple of those other guys were just like all over that. You know, I'm 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 just type of I'm kind of a shy guy. Always been, you know. And so I, you know, I would, I would hang around with the party, but I never really got into that. But I fell into some traps, you know, just mm-hmm. like any, you know, normal male would. I think, yeah, but um. Sure. Yeah, it was just, it was just really crazy. But it got dark pretty fast because like the drugs crept in, and there's like drug dealers showing up, and like most of the crew in a rock tour are they're messing around, you know, doing drugs. So like, if you have enough beers or whatever, and you end up doing something stupid, so there's kind of a cloud going on, and it it just uh, it wasn't really exciting like I thought it was gonna be. You know, at first it really was. First couple, you know, first album cycle, it was cool. First time I went to Europe, it was cool. But then. Uh, it just became like just life, you know? It became kind of like a, a job that you get drunk at. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's, it was. It no, was like, but it's true. So basically you've got, so the alcohol's heavy, groupies, all that. Then the drugs come in. And tell us the progression of how that, how that kind of happened. Yeah, the, um, the alcohol really got bad. The second record, we got endorsed by Jägermeister. And we're like, yay, free Jäger. You know what I mean? And right. then meanwhile, like... Meanwhile, we're, like, throwing up at night, you know, because we get free Jaeger, and, like, our singer got really bad, and he was just drinking the stuff and, and getting really, really, like, he'd be shaking the next day, wanting to kill himself. Then he'd get drunk the next night, and we're, like, he'd, like, come up to, he'd punched a couple of us, and just, like, what is he punching us for? I mean, we can kill this guy, but we're, like, you know, we're just, like, he's just drunk, don't worry about it. Then he would throw up, and then, like, a couple, couple times he would, He'd say, come here, and we'd all go into the bathroom. And he would, like, drink his, his puke out of the toilet just to, like, gross us out and stuff. It was just, I'm just being real. This is the rock star life that everybody wants. So uh, it's not everything you need, but yeah. it, just, it just it got worse and worse, and the drugs got worse. I'd go through phases. I'd do drugs, and then I'd stop doing drugs, and I'd do drugs. And me and my, my girl at the time, we'd, you know, we'd do it at home once in a while. And I would think that I left... You know, it would just be a one-time thing. But when I left, she was doing it more and more. So okay. it just it was getting really bad. And then you guys have a baby. Yeah, that was awesome because, like, before Corn, I didn't say this earlier, but she got pregnant right before my first album came out. And I was like, what do you want to do? And she was like, well, you're leaving. And, you know, we didn't have no, just barely any money and stuff like that. So I was like, I'll, I'll just support you. And she's like, I wanna, I want, I'm not ready. I want to have an abortion. So... She actually went to the abortion clinic, and um, she couldn't do it. And so she, she found, she was really strong. She found adoptive parents for her. She interviewed, like, a few families and found this one family that really wanted a daughter or, you know, a child. And it was, you know, we ended up having a daughter, and that was, like, the hardest day of my life. Like, right before my corn tour, I had this child, and I was, like, it was, you know, the baby was born, and we were, like, holding it, just, like, 
tears were dropping on the yeah. baby. Because yeah. we're like, there's people outside that we're going to give this child to. I want to go out there and say, go home. You know, I yeah. want this baby now. But I just knew it was best for the child. So when we had, when we got, had gotten married, like three or four years later, we had another baby. And uh, we made it through all that. And this was like, I cleaned up. I shocked my body and ate vegetables and went to the gym every day. And it was just like, <laughs> we were good. Like, we were really going to be good parents, you know. Yeah. And it, and it yeah. lasted for a couple months. But then I had a show in Japan. I flew out to Japan. And I was like, Rage Against Machine. You guys know that band? That was like my favorite band. So I was like, man, I got I to gotta have some beers while I watch Rage, you know. So I started drinking again and then just downhill. And uh, I'd come home from from tour and it was hard because my baby like when she started like being able to walk and stuff and she'd like I'd come home and say come here and she'd like go stand by her mom and be like she didn't even know me you know what I mean and it was like she was she was afraid of me yeah. and I was like I'm your dad you know and and uh, so that was hard and uh, and just just uh, life was just crazy and, and um, so at this point now the albums are going now the albums and the tours are going crazy I mean you guys like you sold I mean you guys sold 30 million albums that's a pretty select number of bands that have done that kind of that kind of volume. That's that's impressive. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, just knuckleheads from Bakersfield, California. You know, I don't know how it happened. Like, I'm sitting here at MTV Music Awards. We won a couple Grammys, nominated yeah. for like four or something like that. Won a couple. We won an MTV Music Award. Christina Aguilera, like, and Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. Like, that guy was all over my wall too, and he's like giving me an award. I'm sitting behind Eminem, I could flick his ear if I wanted to, and like, <laughs> it's just like, it's just surreal, you know what I mean? That and may it, not have gone well if you flick his ear, by the way. That. Yeah, he was, he was next to Dre, Dre probably would have knocked me out. <laughs> but you know, just surreal life, but there's always a dark cloud just waiting to like, just drama waiting to happen. You know, after the MTV Awards, we ended up at this party, you know, and they were like, oh my gosh, there's Madonna. And Madonna's at this party talking to Paul McCartney. I'm like, that's like the biggest, most yeah. popular people. I mean, who, you can't yeah. get bigger that's than the Beatles, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like, and afterwards we ended up, you know, doing, she, my wife did cocaine that night. I didn't do it, but we ended up fighting all night. And it was just like, man, just why is there so much drama in my life? Why can't we just be, you know, why can't I just be a musician and enjoy, like, be normal, you know? Right. But it's just, we never were. So you've got everything going good in the world as far as money, fame, people are loving you guys, you know, all the, everything you want. And how are you and how are you doing personally through all this? I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, what life's really about, you know, because, like, we're just doing another record. I love the music. I love recording yeah. and, like, creating music. That yeah. was my thing. Yeah. The whole rock star stuff, the touring and stuff was not my thing. And that was just like, that was like, okay, you got to go out and do your job. That was that was a job to me and uh, like I said I, I like all kinds of alcohol and stuff so I just drank the the I just drank it all away whenever mm -hmm. I felt like weird or, or or bad I just would drink and so it got really bad for me when um, me and my wife were doing the meth once in a while you know off and on and that stuff just is jacked up man and I I would pull in like just a porn and stuff like into my marriage and it started deteriorating my marriage you know what I mean and just so you know, and uh, and when I would leave to go back on tour, I wouldn't do the drugs anymore, but she would continue. And I thought she would stop like me, but she didn't have that strength. So I was just ruining it, and the drugs got worse and worse. And she hooked up with some just bad people. They were skinheads, like second-strike felons. Mm -hmm. They were coming to my house while having parties, and my daughter's there and stuff like that. And so 
I mean, they're skinhead dudes, and they're like, they hated like other races. And I'm like, what are they doing to my house? You know, my my friend owned a pawn shop, and he and he called me, and said, dude, there's skinhead, there's a skinhead here in my shop, and he's trying to hawk a solid gold corn necklace that you have. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's going? I call my wife, and she's like, she's like denying everything. And then I sent one of my friends over to our house with a gun because I knew these guys were ransacking my house, you know, and. Luckily, they weren't there. The skinheads were my wife, but my daughter was there with a babysitter. And um, I just, from that moment on, I was on tour with Metallica. I took my daughter out on the road with me because I just, it was over. The marriage was over. And yeah. she was, she, I mean, I was off my rocker, but she was way, I mean, way off yeah. her rocker. She was way worse. So, so she essentially leaves with this guy, yeah. with this with this skinhead. Now you're, so, so you go, you put on the suit, you go down to the courthouse and... That's a method due to you, man. She didn't even show up to fight for custody, her own mom, you know. And uh, so I hated her. I hated meth. I didn't do meth anymore. We got divorced. Um, she went, she, she said she was going to take half my money in the courts and everything. And I said, if you try to take half my money, I will have you killed. I was like, my money was my God. I, like, I was poor before, and no one was going to take my money. I didn't care who it was. But, you know, I wouldn't have done nothing, but I was that angry to threaten that and everything. Yeah, so yeah. she ended up settling for 800000 and she spent it in, like, five months through on skinheads and partying and like that. It was just crazy. My, my, the same bank guy that I had had her money, and he's like, Brian, she's just pulling money out, like, every week, and it's just she's almost gone. And then it was just totally gone. And, uh, and I swore I was going to do meth again, man, but... Uh, I tried to I tried to get clean and you know I was I was good for a while you so, know I was so working your daughter out. is now literally on tour with Metallica. Yeah, yeah, she's right. on tour with Metallica. Our big old security guards were like doing stroller rides with her and everything. And <laughs> I hired a nanny and and I would like play a show, get off get off of the stage and go like change diapers. It was the whole thing. I just did what I had to do. You know, this is yeah. my kid. She was my little angel. Yeah, you know, but yeah, that's wild. But there was a tug of war going on because yeah. Here's my little angel. You know, I want her to grow up and be all pure and everything. But then, you know, I'm into this lifestyle with craziness and, like, the porno and everything like that. So it's like there was a tug of war going on. But one yeah. thing that happened when I got into drugs later on, I ended up get, getting into meth again. I mean, be careful who you judge and, like, think it's think a low life because I ended up falling into meth. Um, I was just hanging around my hometown. It was Bakersfield. I moved back there. And uh, this guy that I knew had some employees that, that dealt it and, and did it and stuff like that. So he got a sack, and then like a week later got a sack, and then it turned into an everyday habit. And uh, I did drugs every day for two years. I did meth. I took it all over the world. And uh, it was just a night. My dream turned into a nightmare, and I was living a nightmare. So, I mean, that, that's dangerous. You're taking drugs into, into countries that, I mean, you know, we have pretty strict rules in America, but other countries, are their rules are way harder than ours. So you're risking your very life taking drugs into Japan, China, Europe, wherever you are. Yeah, man, I, I grew up like in a house. My, my parents are still together this day, you know, and we're like pretty normal house and stuff. And I'm doing stuff that I never would have done before. Yeah. And I'm thinking about my daughter. I'm scared, but I'm so addicted yeah. that I was like, I need to I need to be able to play the shows. If I stop doing meth, I'm going to crash for a month. Yeah. You know, and I didn't have no time for that because it was just busy, big tour, 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 and it just kept going. Yeah. So I didn't have any time. If I would have told everybody, look, I'm, I'm jacked up on drugs and I need to get off, they would have, they you know, they love me. They would have said, dude, you take some time off, we'll cancel a tour, whatever. But I was too ashamed to, to talk about it. It was my own private little, 
little hell. You know, I was two people just juggling this thing. You, that's powerful, man. He said there's two people. And guys, I want to just stop real quick and just say, that doesn't just happen to rock stars, and you guys know what I'm talking about. I think many of us sometimes feel like we're two people. It's like, okay, there's the, there's the public me who looks like I got it together, and then there's a the private me that's got this private hell going on that no one knows about. And if people knew the struggle, if people knew the addiction, if people knew whether it's porn, whether it's drugs, alcohol, you know. I mean, there's, there's soccer moms that got a secret meth issue that are here. There's, there's good, you know, business guys that also do weed and, and, and started when they were in college and, and don't know how to quit now that they're 45 years old. I mean, I thought, this, is, this isn't just rock stars. And, uh, you know, and, and I just hope you know today coming here that there is hope for you. I mean, that God can change all that and you're, you're seeing it and that God can, God can make a change. So here you are. You've got this secret addiction. You're traveling all over the world. You guys are selling millions of records. Hundreds of thousands of people coming to hear you guys in concert. And you're miserable. Yeah, life didn't make sense. I had everything I ever wanted, you know. Yeah. And, uh, but I just couldn't buy my happiness, you know. And even when I was sober, I was like, I just, I just felt like gloomy and stuff. I just, you know, everyone thought like I had this magical life. But, you know, meanwhile, like all of us, I'm not just a whiny guy in corn either. Everybody had problems, you know. And I'm like, well, we're all miserable. Why? Like, what's, what's the point of this life? You know, it yeah. didn't make sense at all. You're saying, too, that like um, so the drugs are heavy at this point. You, you guys get uh, connected personally with the porn industry, too. Like, we're not talking about watching yeah. videos. I'm talking about actual porn industry people now. Yeah, I mean, like hanging around with friends, you know, just like because they're people, too. They're doing that for a living and they want to make it or whatever. And uh, a lot of these people are just like musicians, you know, they're like they, they uh, they're into drugs and they come from a, a hard background, you know, and uh, most of those girls, you know, they look all beautiful and everything on, on the film, but back behind the scenes, they're abused when they're kids, and they're acting out of their abuse. And that's unfortunately what people abuse, like, do too, too often, you know. And uh, it's just, it's really demonic, you know, how that stuff happens. And we were hanging around with them a little bit. I couldn't hang out with them too much because my wife would just beat me up, you know, because... Uh, my wife you know. would too. That's funny. We have that in common. Yeah. Yeah. How many guys would agree with that? My wife would beat me up. Yes. You know, but it's funny, you said something that's pretty powerful. I mean, you just, you threw it out there casually, but I think it's a big deal. Dude, it is demonic. I mean, it really is. And so you, you, you kept using the word dark earlier, too. Gloomy and dark. Yeah, just the depression hanging over, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was constant for me. And all of us, we were all, like, wasted all the time, you know? And, like, if we got sober, we couldn't even stay sober long enough because we are just miserable, you know? You're like, oh, I want to feel good and get sober. When you get sober, you're, like, depressed, so it's like... You just want to get high all the time, you know? That's all, that's all we knew. Yeah, so you got this terrible cycle going on. Now, in the middle of this, at, this, at, at the height of the career and at the, and at the same time, the depth of your personal life, all of this, you meet the most um, odd Christian. How's that happen? Yeah, this guy, he's like, he, he, he builds these crazy cars, like just crazy cars, and he, like he lifts Hummers like 14 inches off the ground, He's like involved in this show called SEMA in Vegas, and he was like, he was just. You build cars Someone too. Someone knows it. Someone knows it. Cool. Right. Doug, uh, Doug the Birdie. I don't know if you know who that is, but man, he was just like, hey man, what's up? And he was a Christian. His wife was more into it than him, but I was like, man, these people aren't like Ned Flanders on The Simpsons, They're, you know. So I was just, I was doing business deals with him. He was, you know, he was rich, doing like you know, making uh, land deals and making money. And he was like, I want to do a bigger deal. I need someone to partner with. And he was like, hey, 
go ask your friend from Corny. I said, a mutual friend, you know. He's got money. We can put it in together. So I did a couple deals with him, and God was setting something up, though. Because in my mind, I was going, man, because at that time, I wanted to, I didn't like being in corn that much, you know, anymore. And But I was addicted to drugs, and, and I didn't know how to quit because I was addicted to the money, too. So I was like, maybe I can get into real estate and have something to fall back on. I can kind of pull away from corn later on. But uh, so God was using that in my life. But we, uh, we did some deals, and I was on meth the whole time. Like, look, on the outside, Mr. Success. And uh, on the inside, I was just a closet meth addict. And uh, at the end of 2004, my, my daughter was growing up. She's starting to re repeat stuff, you know. And a couple times I'm even like, because I, I have a problem with my mouth, you know. And I'm like, I'm cussing in the car in traffic or whatever. And she's like repeating the words. I'm like, honey, you can't say that stuff. That was when she was younger. But and then when around 2004, like I come home from a tour. I took her on like for a couple weeks. Yeah. And she's like skipping around the house singing like all day I dream about sex uh, from Corn. Yeah. It's a song yeah. called Adidas, you know, and uh and I'm like going, don't sing that. She's looking at me going, why? That's daddy's song, you know? And I'm like, yeah. So it's like, it was just like, yeah. my life didn't make sense, you know? It was like, who am I? Am I this dad for this girl, this cute little girl? Or am I like this rock star in this vulgar band? You know what I mean? It was just yeah. like, who am I? So, but uh, I ended up in that church. And when I got there, the pastor was like talking about Jesus like he was real. And he'd get real serious and go, man, I used to, I remember one time I threw my fiance against the wall and I had so much anger, and I just gave my life to God, because he grew up in church, but he found himself slipping, and he's like, I gave myself to him, he's like, God, it's so real, if you just hang out with him and talk to Jesus every day, your, your life will totally change for the better, I'm like, man, it sounded so good to be, like, I wanted it to be true, yeah, but at the same time, I never knew nothing like that, because I, I, like, got sprinkled water when I was a kid at, a, at Episcopal Church, you mm -hmm. know, that's all I knew, and this guy's saying God is real. He's either a real good, like, he's either real or he's a cult leader and he had all these people fooled, you know? But, right. Because you don't know when you don't know God. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean? That sounds like a fairy tale, like a, a magical, invisible Jesus will help your life, you know? It sounded too good to be true, but I was at my end. I went to the top doctors in Hollywood to try to get free. And man, I'm telling you, I was like, I'll try it. If it doesn't work, I received Christ that day. I went home. And just like that video said, I just. I went to my drug room and prayed and said, God, I can't stop this stuff. That guy said, bring all your baggage. Take this stuff from me or I'm done. You know what I mean? I didn't know if I was talking to the wall or some or whoever, but, you know, long story short, what changed me, I took what I got at that church and I went home and started praying. What changed me was when I felt God's presence a couple weeks later, I was throwing through my Bible. It seemed like every page I turned to was like speaking to me, you know, I was like, whoa. And, uh, and I felt this divine love pour into my soul. And it completely changed my life. So you literally, so you literally felt his presence come over you. Yeah, just like the Bible says, like these people are like, you know, nothing like Jesus coming through a wall and saying, hey, what's up or nothing. But like, I felt like divine love and yeah. peace like nothing else. And I was like, this is why I'm miserable. This is why the money can't satisfy me. This is why the fame and all my toys can't, can't satisfy me because I chose the wrong path and I'm trusting in other things. I just got it. You know what? I got it. And I was like, I want you, God. I want everything. And uh, what do you want me to do, basically? And I was still in corn, and I was like, I don't know what to do. And the crazy uh, truck builder, he yeah. was like, dude, stay in corn. You know, everybody needs positivity, you know? And one day I was at his house, he was telling me that, and I had this overwhelming sensation that I needed to go home and quit corn and just to be with my kid at home and to learn about God. And so 
I did it. I went. I sent emails to the guys in Corn because they would have just they would have talked me back into staying. You know, what are you crazy? You can't leave. You're a rock star. Only a, only a crazy person leaves with being a rock star. You know, they right. would have told me that. I would have said, yeah, you're right. So I sent them emails and I just cut off the relationship for a while right then. And uh, you know, it was, it was it was hard, but at the same time, this was God. And he was like yeah. touching yeah. my life. Yeah. Everything stopped right then. I was like, everything stopped. Wow. I got to figure this out. You guys know, my story's no more important than anybody's here. You know what I mean? And when God touches you, many of you know, there's nothing like it. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. That's dead on, man. You know, you said, um, last night you said, I, I love your quote, man. You just said, I test drove the world and Jesus is better. Nothing compares. That's, that's saying it all right there. So what do you say to the guy or the girl who's here and they're thinking, okay, everything you had, I've been pursuing. And so you're telling me all this stuff is for nothing. That everything I'm, I mean, everything you got is what I want. And, and you're telling me that's not going to fulfill me. And now they're on the edge and they're looking from the outside, looking whether do, do I want Jesus? Is this for real? What, do you, what are you going to tell that person? What, what would you say to that person right now who's just, who's just contemplating it? First of all, the world didn't end on May 21st, so God's giving you another chance. That's right. Today's your day. It's real. My friend Fieldy, the bass player in Corn, he got saved too. He's doing his thing in Corn still. I'm out of Corn. God called me out of Corn. You know, everyone's different. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And God is so real. He's doing stuff nowadays, man, that is just. This is yeah. real stuff, man. It's not like the religion that you knew when you were a kid or whatever you read about. This is real stuff, a real relationship, man. And he, if you could just find something to rise up inside of you, to throw your life down, you will be tripped out so much how good God is and how real he is. Because he doesn't like, he's, he just, he wants us to give everything up for him, you know. And he meets, some people do it little by little. I, I jumped all in. I was like, I threw everything down. Because I, I'm like, that's how I am. I'm built like that, you know, 100% or nothing. You know, I couldn't just get, hey, God, thanks for getting me off drugs. Now I'm going to go sing about the songs that I wrote on drugs. You know what I mean? And so I'm just yeah. not like that. Yeah. And that's not, I'm not better than anybody, but just that's, that's who I am. So, man, if you're, today's your day. If you're here today and you don't know him, I'm telling you, it's real. I mean, how else would two knuckleheads and corn like get saved, you know, unless God was real, you know? That's, that's what it's about right there. Listen, right now, I just want to take a moment, and I don't want you to miss this opportunity, because you, you, you've heard Brian's story, but this is your story now. This is where you realize, okay, this is where I step into the story, that God is here, his presence is here, just like that preacher who God used to grab a hold of you, and you began that journey of knowing Christ. Right now, this is where your journey begins, and I want to encourage you right now. We're all going to pray, and we can just bow our heads right now, and you can accept Christ right here and right now, because listen, Brian Headwell's tester of the world he tried everything there is to try, had everything there is to have, and it left him empty. Jesus is the only thing that will ever satisfy you. And I want to encourage you right now, don't waste the time, energy, and heartbreak required to learn those lessons. Why don't you just get Jesus now? So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, we're going to pray. We're going to pray together. And those of you who already prayed this prayer, we're going to pray it with those beside us who need to pray. Is that cool? And so if you want to receive Christ right now, you just pray with us right now. You can just say this out loud. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. 
thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for raising to life again and paying the price for my sin. Forgive me for all I've done. Please come in my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good?